Uh, we're in a series together, Fruit of the Spirit, right? Uh, so we talk about what does it mean to walk with the Spirit, abide with Jesus in a way that uh, all of a sudden I begin to produce fruit. So it's literally manifesting publicly the character of Jesus in my life that's being uh, somehow developed in me personally or privately. So we're talking about it. And so if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to go to Galatians 5, Fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, and let's read this together. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. That's where we're going to be today. Peace, forbearance, patience, uh, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there's no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. We talked about that. Don't try to tame your sin. You want to crucify the flesh with the passions and desires. And then live by the Spirit, yield to the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, he says. Don't become conceited, provoking and envying each other. God, I pray that you would teach us today and that this passage with power would go forth. And I, I pray for people who are watching. Some of them, you, you know their story. Some of them going through hard times. Some of them just kind of happened upon this. Use these words, these moments uh, to be transformative in our lives. Encourage us. Challenge us, change us, in Jesus' name, amen. Week from Tuesday, you know what it is? Uh, week from Tuesday, we're going to be celebrating our independence as a country, and so a lot of you are going to celebrate with fireworks, food, family, lots of fun. Uh, at the very bedrock of that celebration is this document. The very bedrock of our independence is a document that declares our freedom. And that document, man, many of you know this, says this, we hold these truths, self-evident, that all men created equal, we've talked about that before, and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. So it's their, their, their rights are, among these, are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Our Declaration of Independence describes the fruits of our democracy as life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Uh, but I don't know about you, and I don't know if anyone else has noticed this, but many people that are chasing what we would call the American dream end up not with life, liberty, and, the, and, and happiness, but they end up with a lifetime of being shackled to the ever-elusive chase for such happiness. Maybe that's you. Uh, the pursuit of happiness feels like something uh, like this, like we're chasing our tails. We can't quite get it. And for some of you, and maybe for some of us, it's left us discouraged. Uh, for some of us, the chase, pursuit of happiness has left us exhausted. Uh, for some of us, it's, it's left us very guilty, choices we've made. For others of us, it's been disillusioning. Uh, I would suggest this. I don't need to go through the studies, but many Americans today, 2023, have lost their smile uh, many of us have made grumbling and complaining a national pastime, uh, criticizing others and holding grudges. It just seems like the air we breathe right now, right? Uh, grumpiness becomes our inalienable right to express, and there's plenty of things to be grumpy about, right? Let's not make the laundry list. In the middle of our celebration, Paul says there is another declaration of independence, like I would suggest to you that Galatians is the Christian's declaration, declaration of independence. It's this freedom that we can have when abiding with Jesus, when we walk and keep step with the Spirit. Uh, this freedom that comes with abiding with Jesus and keeping in step with the Spirit, which I would suggest those things go together, it's not focused on declaring and expressing my rights as much as it's surrendering my rights for the benefit of others. And he said, there's freedom. 
Uh, it's not so much about me doing my own thing as it is me yielding to the Holy Spirit and doing his thing. It, it's not so much about me uh, living it up and doing whatever I want to do, but it's about me killing my passions that ne naturally well up inside of me and they become easy ways for me to cope with my life apart from God. That's why it's interesting today, he says the fruit of the Spirit, here's what we're going to look today, is, say it out loud, joy. <laughs> what an interesting thought. What an interesting thought. Uh, joy is not that uncommon of a word. We have songs about joy, joy to the world, right? I've got the joy, joy, joy. I've got all these songs. We use it in phrases. It's not that we don't know the word joy. It's not that we don't use the word joy. It's not that we don't sing about it. It's just that, well, many of us never experience it, if we're honest. Uh, you ever watch the uh, movie Bucket List? I think that's what it's called, Bucket List. Uh, these two guys, uh, uh, kind of towards the end of their life, they go on a worldwide uh, tour trying to cross off things on their bucket list. And there's this one scene where they're sitting, looking at the pyramids in Egypt. And the character played by Morgan Freeman said, says this, that in the ancient Egyptian belief, there were two questions that someone was asked when they died that would determine whether they got into heaven or not. Now, I'm not saying it's true. I'm just saying this is in the movie. But the questions are interesting to me. The two questions that Morgan Freeman uh, says is this. He says, the first question is, have you found joy in your life? Have you found joy in your life? But the second question is this, has your life brought joy to others? Those are interesting questions when you think about the fact the fruit of the Spirit is joy. How would you answer those questions? Have you found joy and does your life bring joy to others? I wonder what your answer would be. Uh, the truth is that many of us desperately want joy. Most of us need joy. Many of us have experienced what we think is joy, but somewhere along the way we lost our joy. Some of us find joy really, really hard to keep. Maybe that's you. Others of us, we've replaced joy and the search for joy with this chase of fun and happiness because we have this fear of missing out. I read somewhere that Jingle Bells, Jingle Bells, you know, the Christmas song, Jingle Bells, oh, what fun it is to ride in a one horse. That originally when it was written was, oh, what joy. And somewhere along the way, they replaced the lyric, oh, what joy with oh, what fun, which is very indicative of what we do many times that instead of chasing and searching and pursuing joy, what we end up doing is chasing fun and happiness. And it's the chase for fun that many times leaves us disillusioned, disappointed. And for some of us, it's in chasing the fun that we pick up baggage along the way. And we end up neither experiencing fun nor experiencing joy. Joy might be missing from our life because we've confused our joy with happiness. And if you're taking notes, I would write this down. What Paul is talking about here is different than happiness. Spirit-produced joy is different than circumstantially dependent happiness. They're different. Happiness is driven by, ha I love being happy, but it's driven by circumstances. It's dependent on situations. Uh, it, it very much is impacted by the people in my life and around me. Uh, it's, I measure my happiness by how a situation, a circumstance, or people make me feel, which is precisely why happiness is so inconsistent, ebbs and flows, and it's fickle. Uh, 
I found this interesting. The word happiness comes from the word hap, the Latin word hap, which actually means chance or fortune, to be lucky. It's interesting. Our happiness is maybe by chance. Uh, it's, it's maybe by luck. That, that's, that's the root of the word. And, and so what, what we do is we chase happiness, and, and it's so tied to our circumstances. But you know something that I already know, that uh, circumstances can hijack my happiness. Raise your hand if you agree with me on that. I see that hand. Yeah, your circumstances can hijack your happiness. I mean, I would be happier if my car didn't break down on the busy highway on the hottest day of the year. Or I, I would be a lot happier if my gutters didn't get clogged and then when I went to clean them, the, the leaves are already frozen in the gutters, right? Like I'd be a lot, circumstances hijack it, right? Uh, I, I would be a lot happier if, if the roof to our house didn't start leaking on the day we're hosting the party at our house. Or I'd be a lot happier if the hot water heater worked or if my back never went out or if the cable didn't shut off in the middle of the Super Bowl or if my team won every game. I'd be a lot happier if traffic wasn't so busy, if roads weren't so bumpy, and if drivers weren't so crazy. Can I get an amen out there? Like, like our happiness, when it's dependent on circumstances, sometimes our circumstances can hijack our happiness. And I can begin the day happy, but by the end of the day, not so happy. I, I would suggest this, that people can vandalize my happiness. They can rob me of happiness. I mean, I'd be happier if my neighbor's dog did his business in somebody else's yard. I'd be happier if my boss was nicer and, can I say, more generous. Amen? Yeah, you agree with me? I know you do. I, I would be happier if people didn't text and drive and then look at me like I was the one with the problem. Anybody with me? I'd be happier if the lady in the Target checkout line uh, clipped her coupons out before she got in line. I would be a lot happier if the baby crying when I take my wife out on a nice, quiet date at the restaurant, looking to get away from all the noise and distraction. I'd be happier if the baby took the pacifier. <laughs> Like, I'd be happier if my wife always knew what I needed and what I wanted. I'd be happier if my kids were always respectful and obedient. I'd be happier if the preacher preached shorter sermons. That's not going to happen. <laughs> you see, happiness uh, is dependent. It's like dependent on situations, circumstances going the way that I want and making me feel the way that I want to feel. Joy, at least the kind of joy that Paul is talking about here, is not a turn your frown upside down kind of superficial happiness. It's more substantial than that. It's more textured than that. It's more profound than that. I read this somewhere recently. Joy is an attitude people adopt not because of happy circumstances. Nothing wrong with happy circumstances, by the way. But because of their gratitude, their confidence, and their hope in God's presence and his promises. I heard someone say it this way, joy is a focus before it ever is a feeling. That's the difference. Joy is a focus. So, so the question it begs that we got to answer for the next few minutes is how does the Holy Spirit produce this joy in my life? And a good place, I think, for us to hang out for a few minutes is a book written by the same guy who wrote Galatians about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Paul is the guy who wrote Galatians and he wrote another book and he's writing to a church that he started with a worship night. And it happened to be a worship night that began in a jail cell. 
He and his ministry partner Silas were stripped. They were beaten with rods. They were flogged and they were thrown into jail. And Acts chapter 13 says that while in the jail cell, these guys were awed. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God in jail. And if you know the story, the Philippian jailer, the earthquake comes, these guys, uh, Philippian jailer ends up coming to Christ. His whole family comes to Christ. Well, about a decade later, Paul is writing a letter to the church at Philippi. It's called Philippians. Go figure, right? And it's a book of 104 verses, and its central theme is joy. But what makes the book fascinating is that Paul is writing this letter to them, those people that the church started with a worship service in jail. He's writing them a letter where one of the central themes is joy, and he's writing it from jail, although this time he's in a Roman prison. He's writing a letter to this church from prison about joy. It makes me think of a story I heard uh, Pastor Alistair Begg say, a friend of, uh, he, he had somebody slip him a note. He's kept this note, and, and I, I came across this story. Uh, the note said this to Pastor Begg, a friend of mine was suffering through brain cancer in his treatments. His relationship with Jesus was such that the nurse on duty wrote a critical comment in his chart. And the critical comment that she wrote read, and I quote, Mr. X, the guy's name, is inappropriately joyful. <laughs> and the person went on to say to Pastor Begg, uh, since then it has become my goal to be inappropriately joyful. Paul's letter to the Philippians, if you want to flip there uh, to Philippians, uh, is a letter that seems inappropriately, disproportionately joyful. How in the world could he be writing a letter about joy in the situation that he's in? How do you and I see this kind of joy, this inappropriate, uncommon joy produced in our life? Well, I think that he gives us maybe some things that will help us. If you're taking notes, I think the first is this, that the fruit of joy is produced when I perpetually focus. Remember, it's a focus before it's a feeling on remembering all that I have in the gospel. All that I have in the gospel. I'll put that back up, but look at this. He starts his letter in Philippians and he says this. I got my, right in front of me, Philippians 1, Paul and Timothy. That was his uh, intern, his uh, ministry partner that he was training and coaching. We're servants of Christ we're writing to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi. So now we know where it's at. Together with the overseers and the deacons. And he starts the letter this way and was not uncommon for him to do this. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Guys, it would be easy to breeze right past this. It's like this is just his introduction. But Paul made this a common greeting that he would give grace and peace to you. And in those words, we see one of the keys to this inappropriate, right, unusual, uncommon joy. And it is found in perpetually remembering all that I have in the gospel. He says grace and peace. Grace is what happens to me that I do not deserve. By grace, I am saved. By the way, the Greek word joy and the Greek word for grace very much... Uh, are similar, have, have some roots together. God in his grace did for me what I could not do for myself. 
in Jesus. The gospel says you and I are sinners and we deserve the full punishment for our sins. That's what I deserve. But God so loved the world. God dem- We talked about this last week. God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Jesus came and lived a sinless life and then he died a death on the cross that he did not deserve because the gospel says he died for you and he died for me. God loves you. Grace says I get what I don't deserve. He died so that we could be forgiven of our sins. He died so that we could be invited into the family of God. He died so that we could have a forever hope. And that is open to you. And joy is rooted and focused perpetually on all that I have in Christ. It's, it's, it's perpetually focused on the grace of God found in the gospel. God's riches at Christ's expense. And then he says grace and peace. And Pastor Jonathan's going to teach us about that next week. But peace is what happens in me that I can't explain. The gospel is all about peace. Peace with God. The peace of God. And it's hard to explain. It's hard for people to understand. Joy and peace go together like joy and the love of God. They, they just go together. I have peace with God because of my relationship with Jesus. It is the only way for me to have peace with God. And I can experience the peace of God even in the stormy parts of my life. We'll talk about it next week. But my peace is not externally driven. It's internally anchored in my relationship with God. And and, and my joy is going to be focused on perpetually remembering the grace and the peace found in the gospel. Do you remember what the angel said when Jesus was born? Remember they said to the shepherds, I bring you good news of what? Great peace joy like like the gospel and joy go together uh literally the way it's written is mega joy the gospel is news that brings and produces mega joy in our life some of you know pastor bob combs and uh, uh we've been praying for him and he's been here 50 years uh just this last thursday he and his wife married 60 years i happened to be with him in the hospital he's in the hospital recovering And uh, I got to spend uh, quite a bit of time with him this last Thursday morning. And and I asked him all kinds of questions, but I asked him, I said, hey, what are some of your favorite uh, messages um, that you did for different occasions? And he mentioned a funeral that he was preparing to do that was really, really going to be tough. And he had a relative of the person that he was going to be doing the funeral for give him a suggested outline for his sermon, and this is what it is. And he quoted it to me. He said, remember God is awesome. God's awesome. That my joy is rooted in the fact that we have an awesome God and that sin is awful. Sin is awful, that I am truly a sinner. I'm, I, and to be aware of that and to come to grips with the truth of that. But, but then this, God is awesome, sin is awful, and forgiveness is available. That's the gospel. And then grace is amazing. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I love that. It's the gospel. I, I do a, uh, a Bible study with uh, four guys every Wednesday. I love these guys. And, you know, my hope is uh, somewhere here in the future, they're going to branch off and do Bible study with four other guys. But right now we're in a group together. And two of the guys that I'm doing this Bible study with, love them, uh, are uh, recovering alcoholics, uh, and they've been in recovery for a lot of years, and they help a lot of other people. What's interesting to me is every meeting that we have on Wednesday, 
uh, every meeting, they somewhere that comes up. Uh, what they have been rescued out of, what they have been saved from, their alcoholism and the recovery. And so over and over, they're perpetually remembering, this is where I was, and I'm not where I was, but look at where I'm at. And it's like this celebration, this perpetual focus on what God has done in their life. And I think that is beautiful because joy is produced by never forgetting what I've been saved from. When's the last time you reflected on your salvation and what you've been saved from? Joy perpetually focuses on remembering all that I have in the gospel. The forgiveness of my sins, a seat at the table of the family of God, a forever hope that nobody can take away. Joy is anchored in that. It's not like a happenstance. It's not like whether things go, but it is focused and anchored in what God did for us at the cross. And and the way I keep my joy anchored and planted and rooted is to perpetually remember. That's why we celebrate communion. That's why we sing songs about the gospel. That's why we are constantly wanting to remember what Jesus did for us. That's joy. No matter what's going on around me, can't undo that, what he did for us at the cross. It's interesting because that's not all. I think Paul says something interesting here. It's in verses three through six. If you got your Bibles open to Philippians one, he said, I, I thank God for you guys. So he's remembering the church. Every time I remember you in my prayers for you, I pray with joy. There's our word because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day till now. Being confident, underline that word confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, he is not quitting. He's going to carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul, listen close, was confident that God was working. Why could Paul say that? Paul could say that to them because Paul was confident and he was confident that even in his jail cell, even in in prison, that God was working. And he was confident that in his problems, God was working in him through him and around him. Uh, Look at what he says a little later in Philippians 1. He says, remember, he's in prison. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. That's just inappropriate joy. He's in jail. As a result, it's become clear through the whole palace garden to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord, dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Listen, before you read past this too fast, you must know what happened to Paul. Paul wanted to go from Rome. He wanted to go to Rome really, really bad as a preacher. Instead, he shows up as a prisoner. Now, Paul was actually a Roman citizen. He had every right to appeal to Caesar. And he had every right to get an audience with Caesar. Instead, he is illegally arrested in Jerusalem, misrepresented, misidentified as an Egyptian renegade, Paul got lost in the red tape and the political machinery, but was finally granted a trip across the Mediterranean. And on the way, he was shipwrecked. When he finally arrived in Rome, he was incarcerated and virtually forgotten. Paul knew what it was like to have a not-so-good, very bad day. He knew what it meant to be a victim of circumstance. He knew what it meant to have your dreams dashed. He knew what it meant... And yet he had this uncommon, inappropriate, unusual joy. Because the fruit of joy 
is, folk, is produced as I confidently expect God to work in, through, and around me. That's the fruit of joy. That's what he's saying here. Even Paul's problems had a purpose that God would redeem. And Paul was looking, you saw it there, at how his problems advanced the gospel. He's like, I'm a prisoner. But he didn't, he didn't view the Roman guards as a restriction or as captors, but he saw them as an audience. He had a captive audience with the elite, hand-chosen soldiers who would eventually become leaders in Rome. Paul was confident God was working. These guys watched Paul. They listened to Paul pray. They listened to Paul give his testimony, and they watched him write parts of the New Testament. Paul was not the prisoner here. Paul knew that his problems provided a unique audience for the gospel. I've shared this story before. I can remember my father when he was in the hospital. Uh, many times it was awful. And yet each of those doctors and nurses became his audience. But it wasn't just that those people were this unique audience, but his problems, do you see that? Were an inspiration to other believers. He said, because of what I'm facing, did you see it in verse 14? Most of the brothers and sisters become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Like his problems, he saw because, because he was confident God was working in him, through him, and around him, He's like, okay, I'm in prison. But joy is like God's at work. And so I'm going to look and I'm going to try to see what God's doing in this moment. Uh, Kay Warren said this about joy. Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. It's the, it's the quiet confidence that ultimately everything's going to be all right and the determined choice to praise God in every situation. That's what Paul's doing. And, and not only was he in jail, but there's something else going on. I mean, look at verse 15. It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, not knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. But he said there's some people who preach Christ out of selfish ambition. They're not sincere. They suppose they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But he says this. What's the matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. Paul focused on what was important. And because of this, I rejoice. Do you see this? Not only is Paul in prison, but there's people out there preaching Christ and they were preaching from wrong motives. And they were doing church and their motives were all screwed up. And in the, in the, in the meantime, they're attacking Paul's ministry. And they're trying to stir up trouble for Paul in the process. They're trashing his reputation. I don't know about you, but man, that, 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 that can hijack your happiness. Can you imagine how easy it would have been for Paul to lose his joy, to get off track? But did you see what he says? The most important thing is that in every way Christ is preached. When you and I have an uncommon, inappropriate joy, I can keep my focus on what matters most and remember that God's working. Sometimes, guys, I don't know about you, but sometimes I lose my joy trying to control situations I have no control over, and in the process, I stop influencing people. Sometimes I can lose my joy trying to protect my reputation, and in the process, I stop developing my character. Paul kept focused on what mattered most because he says God's at work. I don't know. I don't think he, could, he understood all of why it was happening, but he's like, I, I'm going to lean into 
the truth that I am confident that God who started the work in you is still working in you and he's going to complete it. And I believe that about you and I believe that about me and God's at work. Then he says this, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel, the good news about Christ. Then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I'll know that you are standing together with one spirit, one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. He's saying live on earth, live on earth as citizens of heaven. He's not saying live on earth to earn citizenship in heaven, but live on earth as citizens, right now as citizens of heaven. In other words, live here in a way that reflects you're a citizen there. And I think that's the secret to his joy. The fruit of joy is produced as I focus on living on the earth now as a citizen of heaven. While you are living here as a follower of Christ, remember as a follower of Jesus, you're right now a citizen of heaven. You have all the rights and privileges and responsibilities. In the gospel, it is the gospel that secures my citizenship. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection buys our citizenship. If I am a follower of Christ, I am a citizen of heaven. Heaven is my home. Earth is my temporary assignment. So important. Because if I get those backwards, I'm going to lose my joy. What does it mean to live here as a citizen of, of heaven? Well, Paul does, doesn't give us an exhaustive lift, but he, he mentions a couple things. Uh, remember back in verse 27, he says, Will I come to see you or hear about you in my absence? I will know that you stand firm, striving together as one. He's talking to a whole group of people, a whole church, for the faith of the gospel. Part of my joy and what it means to live as a citizen of heaven, and I'm going to live right now, is that I am going to live to extend the gospel now. Mark Twain said this, The two most important days in our life are the day you're born and the day you find out why. That's interesting. Uh, my, I might change that and say inappropriate joy is reminded that joy comes in being born again and finding out why you were born again. Knowing what you are saved from is important, but what you are saved for. One of the quickest ways for me to forfeit my joy is to turn that around and live like this is my permanent home. And so what's going to happen is I'm, I'm going to be I'm going to be fixated on my happiness coming from me getting all I can get here. Paul helps us know what we're saved for. We are God's, what, ambassadors. Have you ever wondered why God leaves us here after we become followers of Christ? You ever wondered? I heard somebody say this one time, that there's uh, two things you can't do in heaven. I heard somebody say this, and I'm like, oh, what's that? It's interesting, right? He says, well, sin, no sin. And he says, you're not going to be able to share Christ. You're not going to be able to evangelize, share the gospel. Paul says that as citizens of heaven, part of me living now as a citizen of heaven is realizing that I am not a citizen here. I'm an ambassador. And so joy is rooted in me living into my purpose that God has for me. That's why he says, I want you to strive together. I want there to be effort, cooperation, and unity. There is no more important way for you to invest your life here on this earth. The reason some of you don't have joy and you're a follower of Christ is because you flipped them. You're like, heaven's a place I'm going someday as I live here as a citizen. So what I do is I just adopt what it means to be a citizen here. Joy for a follower of Christ is in knowing 
the good news, living the good news. But friends, it's in giving it away. Paul goes on, he says, I don't want you to be frightened. So I'm going to extend the gospel. That's what it means to live as a citizen of heaven by those who oppose you. Uh, we can stop there. I, I think what he's saying is, I, I'm going to live expecting opposition. Opposition doesn't surprise me. Uh, hard times don't surprise me. Did you ever hear this? Uh, uh, expectations are premeditated disappointments or resentments. That, that can be true. I think what he's saying here is expect opposition. James says expect trials. And James actually has the audacity in James chapter 1, you can look this up, that when you face trials of many kinds, he says, count it all joy. He's saying before you face them, count it joy and then expect to face them. I heard a guy say it this way. Uh, he must have had a, a child that weighed about 90 pounds. And he said, uh, when that child unexpectedly runs up and jumps on his back, it can buckle his knees and almost cause him to slip a disc and make him feel like he's 73 years old. 90-pound child jumping on your back is like, ah, it can almost break you. But the same guy's a weightlifter, and he said, but I all the time put 90 pounds on a bar and lift it. And sometimes it's like a warm-up. And, and, and when I lift it, I'm expecting to, and it actually makes me stronger. I think what Paul is saying is, don't live expecting opposition. Live expecting there's going to be hard times. Endure suffering with strength. Walk through hardship with hope. Count it all joy. God's at work. We, this is not our home. Don't be surprised when people oppose your faith. Don't uh, embrace your values. Don't, don't be surprised when people won't think that the things you think are a priority are a priority. Don't be surprised when people ridicule your convictions. This is not your home. He says, count it all joy. Maybe I can do that as if I'm perpetually remembering what I have in the gospel, if I'm confident God's working in me and I know what I've been saved from, but I also know what I've been saved for. So, so what does it look like? Let's just finish with a couple questions and, and then be done. What does it look like when joy is being produced in my life? Well, I, I, as I told you earlier, I spent some time with Pastor Bob Combs in the hospital and uh, I, I said to him, hey, I'm preaching on joy this week. Uh, you have anything you want to say? And uh, he was not having a great day on the day that I asked him that. And all he had the strength to muster up this day was joy. Jesus first, others second, yourself last. Well, that's pretty good. And maybe it begs some questions. Maybe under the heading of Jesus first, am I focused on whining or shining? Uh, I don't have it on the screen, but Paul said in Philippians 2, Therefore, my friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fill his good purpose. God's at work. He says this, Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. I love that. He's like, when you and I begin whining and complaining and grumbling, and when that becomes like, all of a sudden what it does is it begins to cover the shine, the shine that followers of Christ have the opportunity 
to be a part of when they shine their lights bright on Jesus. The question is, are you producing the fruit of joy when people see you? Do they see a whiner, a complainer? You ever, you ever meet somebody like that? Like, how you doing? Eeyore, right? And I wonder, when the fruit of the Spirit gets produced, it, it's not like this fake me out, right? It, it's not like you don't ever feel sorrow. Sorrow. Check me out on this. 2 Corinthians 6, Paul actually says, even though I'm sorrowful, I'm full of joy. Like, when people see you, do they see in you somebody who is thankful for their salvation, somebody who's confident God's at work, and somebody who understands that they are a citizen of heaven, they have this hope that you can't take away, and they know exactly what it is that God wants them to do? How about this question? These questions right out of the book of Philippians. Am I focused on knowing Jesus or chasing happiness? Philippians 3, Paul lists all the things about him that would have been special and would have been very noteworthy. But he said, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage. That's interesting. That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not a righteousness of my own, but one that is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And he says, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. The writer of Hebrews put it this. This is interesting to me. He says, this race we're running, he said, fix your eyes on Jesus. Know Jesus. Follow Jesus. Look to Jesus. But it says this. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. And then it says, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He scorned the shame. Like literally when I look to Jesus and know Jesus, I'm looking at somebody who ran this race and for the joy that was set before him, which by the way is you and I, he ran through the cross in order that we could be part of his family, have forgiveness. I'm wondering, am I focused on knowing Jesus or chasing happiness? I mean, how would you answer that? How about this under the category of Jesus first? I wonder, am I focused on worry or worship? He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I said again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. Like, like I wonder when people come into contact with you, do, do they hear somebody that's anxiety-ridden or do they hear somebody who is constantly has their heart bent towards God, responding to the God who's at work, the God who worked at the cross, the God who's at work right now, and the God who will make all things new. You see, joy is something that produces this outburst of worship. That's why in Acts 13, Paul and Silas are singing. Uh, how about this when it comes to others? If it's Jesus first and than others. I wonder if I'm able to focus on appreciating others or is my focus on getting others to appreciate me? You know something that will steal your joy is when you compete and compare. You got to write that down. It's not my notes. But, but joy is something that is free to appreciate others. Paul said, I thank God every time I remember you. Like when's the last time you just with gratitude begin to thank God for the people in your life? You see, when I don't have joy, what I'm doing is I'm competing because I want to be one up or I, I want people to appreciate me or I be get get down in the mouth because well nobody noticed me but joy is like God noticed me at the cross and saved me God's working in and through me and God's got a 
beautiful plan for me. Many of us, what we can do is spend our entire effort trying to get others to appreciate us. And I look at this letter Paul's writing, and he's like, I thank God for you guys. How about one more? Let's just do one more. Am I free to focus on emptying my life for the sake of others, or am I using others to fill my life? Paul says this, Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, one in spirit, one in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. You see, we've said this, the fruit is, is for others. And this fruit of joy is not something that's driven by happenstance, circumstance, situations, even people, but it is something that is rooted in and perpetually remembering all that I have in the gospel, all the spiritual blessings I have in Christ Jesus. It is something that is focused in and confident in the fact that God is working in me right now. He's working through me and he's even working around me. And, and there's things I can't control, and when I get so fixated on that, I'm going to lose my joy. But, but it also is a joy that is produced when I live now, focus on living now as a citizen of heaven then. If I get those flipped, I'm going to start whining, complaining, and grumbling. Can I ask you this? The same question as Morgan Freeman. Have you found joy? Have you found the joy of knowing Jesus, embracing the gospel? Can I ask you this? Does the fruit of joy in your life extend joy to others? Does your life bring joy to others? Are you a joy to be around? <laughs> the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. So God, I pray for those that are listening that today you would help those who've never said yes to Jesus to say yes to the good news of Christ. I pray they would experience that joy. In fact, your word says that angels in heaven are going to rejoice. Like there's a party when people come to Christ. God, I pray for those of us who are followers of Christ and we're living as citizens here as though heaven is this far off idea. God, I pray that you'd help us to be perpetually thankful and grateful for the grace and peace and mercy and forgiveness that we have in the gospel. To be constantly confident of the fact you're working in us, even in the middle of our hard stuff, our problems, our pain, and that you, God, have a purpose and a plan for us to live now as citizens of heaven. And I pray that our joy then would be produced and overflow, as Peter said, that there would be this inexpressible joy. Thank you for that. Thank you for challenging us today and encouraging us. And I pray, God, that you'd help our lives to produce the fruit of joy. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good hanging out with you guys. I love you guys. Email us. Let us know how we can be praying for you. Uh, I hope you'll continue to join us each week. We're going to continue this series. Have a great day. God bless you.